today our scripture reading will be Acts 2, 1 through 13. Please join me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and Polycites, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Thank you, Heidi. Great job with all those names. That was a uh, that was a tall order. He did a good job. It's also Heidi's birthday today, so if you have a chance, give her, uh, say happy birthday to her. It's always challenging to get the notes to not blow away. <laughs> okay, well, this is the fourth and final week of our series that we've called Biblical Identity, and we said from the beginning. Identity is this word that gets thrown around a lot. You, we hear about identity politics. We hear identity in lots of different contexts in our society today. But what we've been doing in this series, and we've we just been asking the question, what is God, who does God say that we are? What does God say about human beings? And we want to take our cues about how to view ourselves and how to view the people around us, not from culture, not from politics, not from our own thoughts, but from, but from God. And so we've just been walking through the first few chapters of Genesis and been asking, when God talks about people, how does he describe us? What categories does he use to talk about us? And we've seen so far that God says we're human beings made in the image of God, which means, like I've said a couple times already, that means God loves us for the same reason that I love my daughter Rose. It's not because of anything that she does or any skills that she has. It's because I made her, right? And God loves us because... He made us, not because of anything that we do. And we should love and respect each other, not because we like each other's personalities or because we find each other easy to get along with or because we agree on certain things, but because other people are made in the image of God too, just like, just like we are. And for the last two weeks, we've been talking about this very sensitive and today very controversial idea of maleness and femaleness and, and marriage. And what we've said is that maleness and femaleness 
are categories that are invented by God. They're not things that we just came up with because it was convenient. Maleness and femaleness are invented by God, which means that we should submit our maleness or our femaleness to God, which means that there's lots of different types of, of men in the world. There's lots of different types of women in the world. And there's lots of different stereotypes about the way men should be or the way women should be. And these can be, you know, we're all going to find ways that we fit those cultural stereotypes, and we're all going to find ways that we, we don't fit those cultural stereotypes about what a man should be or what a woman should be. But we've said we're submitting our masculinity or our femininity to God, which means what's important isn't whether we fit the stereotypes. What's important is coming to God's word and saying, God, what type of man have you made me to be? What type of woman have you made me to be? And looking at scripture to see how God tells us to live out our maleness or our femaleness. And last week we talked about this idea of sexuality and and marriage. And we said that God, when he creates marriage, he invents marriage and he defines it as one man coming together with one woman for one lifetime. And that this is something that is invented by God and that we all have different sexual desires, some of them good, some of them not good, and all of us do. And the key is that we don't let our desires, what seems right in our own eyes, we don't let our sexual desires or our sexual attractions define for us what's right and what's wrong. Instead, we submit those sexual desires to God, and we let him be the Lord of our life, of our singleness, of our, of our marriage, of our sexuality, right? So we've talked about these three things, and, you know, so we've gone all the way through Genesis 1 and 2, and we haven't talked at all about race. Have you noticed that? And if you listen to culture today, if you listen to the news or politics or you hear people talk, very often, I wonder if you'd agree with this, it seems to me that very often when people talk about this phrase identity, this word identity, they're talking about race. Have you noticed that? That very often we talk about our racial identity or, or something like that. Um, and so, you know, it's gotten to be very sensitive today. It's been extremely politicized in, in American culture and really all over the world today, this idea of, of race. And it's kind of gotten to the point where it's tough to talk about it. Like, it's hard to have just a decent conversation about race and about racial differences or, or whatever. It's hard to preach about it without people saying, oh, you're a white supremacist, or people saying, oh, you're a cultural Marxist. And I really think that's a shame because, first of all, we here in the triangle, we here in Cary, North Carolina, we live in an incredibly racially diverse area, don't we? If you walk down the tobacco trail right over there, you're going to see people of all different colors, people from all over the world, people of all different races and ethnicities. We live in a very culturally and racially diverse area. And also the Bible has a lot to say. It has some very important themes that you see throughout the Bible about what it looks like for us as God's people to be living well and reflecting his glory in a culture and in a world that is racially diverse. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a couple passages. We're going to first look at Genesis 11, and then we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to be seeing, okay, what does this teach us? What does God's word teach us about race and what it looks like for us to be salt and light 
and to live as disciples of Jesus in a racially diverse world. Sound good? All right, well, let's look at Genesis chapter 11. So Genesis chapter 11, let's see, let me find it too. Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. And some of you might know that the word Babel means confusion. The reason it's called the Tower of Babel is because in Genesis chapter 11, initially, everybody's together. You have one people in, in one place with one language. And then the people, remember, God had given them a command. He told them to, to, to be fruitful and multiply and also to do what? He said to, to stay in one place or to do what? No, he told them to, to fill the earth. Right? So the idea is God is filling the earth with image bearers of him who are going to reflect his glory. So the whole world is going to be filled with the glory of God reflected from his image bearers as we spread out and multiply to fill the entire earth. Okay, so he said we're supposed to, to spread out and fill the earth and reflect God's glory. But what happens in Genesis chapter 11, are the people doing that or are they not doing that? They're not. What they're doing is they actually say, they say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make our name uh, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the, of the whole earth. So God has told them, spread out, fill the earth and reflect my glory. And they are saying, we're going to stay in one place. We're all going to stay together to reflect our own glory. So they got it backwards, right? And so God, what he does is he confuses their languages. He causes them to, originally they all had one language. He confuses their language so they can't understand each other. They can't communicate with each other. We can imagine that they start having conflict. They start getting in, in fights with each other. And what ultimately happens is the people, they, they spread out. And they spread out all throughout, all throughout the, the world. Okay, so the Tower of Babel is the place where people go from having being one people with one culture, with one race, with one language, and they're spread out, and they go all over the they go all over the world. All right, so that's the Tower of Babel. Now, three things that we can learn about race and ethnicity from Genesis chapter eleven. Okay, three three things we can learn about race from Genesis chapter eleven and the story of the Tower of Babel. Well, first of all, first of all, we, number one, we are all one people who are created in the image of God. That's the first thing, and it's also the most important thing, that we are all, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our, our language, we are all one people who are created in the image of God. And what we see in the in the genealogies, and I know, you know, nobody likes to read genealogies, but if you, if you look at the genealogies and understand them, what it's telling us is that, you know, all of, all of humanity obviously descended from Adam and Eve, and then with the flood, you know, all people except for, for Noah's family are, are destroyed, and so all people then descend from, from Noah, and so you have Noah and his, his sons and their families and their descendants, and what you see if you look at Genesis chapter 10 and 11 and the genealogies there, it's really fascinating if you kind of nerd out and you look at all these different places that they go to and, you know, Cush and whatever. And what you see is that these people who were 
one family, they were one people, they were one nation all together at the Tower of Babel, and they're all descendants of Noah. You see that some of them spread out south into, into Africa, into Egypt and Sudan and the rest of Africa. Some of them go up north into to Europe, into Greece and Italy. Some of them go out, go out east into, into Asia. So from the Tower of Babel, they disperse all over the known world into Asia, into Europe, into Africa, and then some of them stay in, in Mesopotamia too. Okay, so that's what you see. And what, so, so then the question is, so all of us, first point, all of us, no matter what our skin color is, no matter what race we are, we are all one people made in the image of God, right? Then the question is, how come when we look, if we're all one people made in the image of God, why do we look so different? You know, why do we have so much diversity about the way we look and the way we act and in our cultures? Well, that's the second point. The second point, the second thing we learn about race and ethnicity from this passage is that racial differences develop over time because of our different environments. Racial differences develop over time because of our different environments. Like we just said, so Adam and Eve, they're creating God's image, and God's very clear that they are human beings made in the image of God. He's very clear that they are male and they are female, right? But what race are Adam and Eve? What race are Adam and Eve? Well, he doesn't say. They're just the human race, right? Okay, so then where did all this diversity come from then? Well, the Tower of Babel, like I said, we see people dispersing into Africa, into Asia, into Europe, and these are all places that have very different climates, that have very different environments. And so what scientists tell us is that the things that we look at and the things that we consider these these racial differences like our skin color or the shape of our eyes or different different physical features that we have these are things that develop over time based on if you're in a, a very hot climate where you're getting exposure to lots of UV rays or if you're in a colder climate where you're always covered up. After generations, you know, generations and generations pass, and over time, the, then these differences in skin color, these differences in our physical features, they start to emerge because of these different environments that we're, that we're living in. And you also have, you have kind of this, this group of people over here. And, you know, today, somebody from, somebody from, from Europe can meet somebody from Asia on eHarmony, and then they can fly and, and meet in, you know, meet in somewhere else, and then they can start a family there. But that's not what happened in the ancient world, obviously. You know, you would, you would marry and you would have children with somebody that was from the same basic kind of in the same basic geographical area. So you, then you get these, the, the gene pool is somewhat isolated. So you have unique physical features, not unique, but you have noticeable physical features that develop in certain geographic areas. Okay, so the things that we look at and we call racial differences these are things that emerge over time because of the different environments that we live in, all right? And that's why, that's why, because racial differences are things that emerge over time because of environment, that's why race is something that compared to 
say, gender or our maleness and our femaleness, race is something that is very fluid. And it's something that is often very difficult to categorize. It's often very difficult to define. Okay? For example, you know, so many of you know Lindsay and I, we lived, before coming back to North Carolina, we lived in China for 13 years. And so a couple that's one of our best friends, they, the husband is, he's a, a white guy from Florida, and the wife is from, is from China. She's Chinese. And they got married uh, five, uh, probably seven years ago, and they have a little, a little daughter. And they're a, a beautiful couple. They love the Lord. They serve the Lord, and they have a, a daughter. And so, again, the, the dad is, is a white guy from Florida. The mom is, is Chinese. And then they have this, this beautiful daughter. Well, what race is she? You know, her, her dad's a white American, her, her mom's Chinese. Well, what, what race is she? Which category do you put her in? Well, it's kind of hard to say, isn't it? She's kind of her own unique person, right? And that's why, too, um, there's different, for, for example, um, if you look at uh, different racial conflict that's happened in, in Africa, for example, you know, we've, there's, there's different conflicts that are racial conflicts that for many white Americans we look at and we say, wait, you guys, you, you look like you're the same race, but they don't think they're the same race, right? And so this is, this just, these things just show us because th these things show us that race compared to gender or our maleness or our femaleness, race is something that can be fluid and something that is hard to define. So you might ask then, why in the world would you treat somebody differently or treat somebody unkindly based on their race, if race is something that emerges because of our different environments. And that's a very good point, <laughs> okay? Um, but that leads us to our third point about race and ethnicity, which is that, number three, we see that there is confusion and conflict in the world because of sin. There's confusion and conflict in the world because of sin. Okay, what we see in the Tower of Babel is that people are exalt, they're rebelling against God, they're exalting themselves against God, and the result is that God, in order to limit the spread of evil, and in order to kind of force them to, to spread out into their, and fill the earth like God had told them, he confuses their languages. Okay, and, and because of the sin in the world, both before that and then since that, obviously, there is confusion and there is conflict in the world because of, of sin, okay? Now, if we think about race, the fact that we are, that the people of the world, that we are very racially diverse, that could be a really beautiful thing, couldn't it? You can see how that would be, that can, that can be awesome, that can be wonderful, when we can get together with people that look different from us, that have maybe different cultures, maybe even people from different nations, people that speak different languages, and we can celebrate together, we can learn from each other, we can celebrate our shared humanity, and we can celebrate our creator together. That could be beautiful, right? We could have that unity within the diversity that's all around us. But think about it, is that what typically happens when people of different races get together? It's, 
you know, very sadly, it's often not, right? And instead, what we see when people of different races get together, not always, but often, you see confusion, you see disunity, and then, you know, in, in the worst case scenario is you see conflict and, and you see violence, okay? Well, what are we going to do about that? What is God doing about that? Well, look with me at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the passage that Heidi just read. And we'll spend a couple minutes there. And this is where we'll see the fourth point about that we see in the Bible about how we should live in a racially diverse world as people who are, who are God's people and followers of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And what we see here is that the fourth point, so first of all, we're all one people who remain in the image of God. Racial differences emerge because of environment. Number three, there is conflict and confusion in the world because of sin. And number four, God is uniting people of all races together into one family under Jesus Christ. God is uniting people of all races together into one family under Jesus Christ. Okay, look at what happens in Acts chapter 2. So the background here, the background for Acts chapter 2 is that at this point, so you're fast-forwarding several thousand years from the Tower of Babel, and at this point, so in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, it's where there's lots of Jews that live in, in Jerusalem, but at this point, the Roman Empire is in charge, has taken over um, that whole area of the world and in parts of Asia and parts of of Africa and parts of, of Europe and then all over kind of Mesopotamia. And what had happened is that the Jewish people, they had been scattered. They had been scattered to all different parts of, of the Roman Empire. They'd been scattered into parts of, of Europe. They'd been scattered into different parts of the Middle East. They'd been scattered into to Egypt and to, to areas in, in what we consider today the area of Sudan. Um, They've been scattered into to Asia Minor, to Turkey, to, to all of those different areas. And as they were living in these different cultures within the Roman Empire, well, guess what happens? They start to pick up the language, the culture of the people that are in Africa or the people that are in Asia or the people that are in Europe or the people that are wherever they happen to be living. Does that make sense? And so what would happen is that for three times a year for different Jewish festivals, all of the devout Jews in the Roman Empire, they would all make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate these, these festivals. And so in Acts chapter 2, this is, they're, they're together to celebrate the festival of weeks or the feast of, of weeks. It's one of the three main Jewish festivals that they would make a pilgrimage to, to celebrate. And so... They're all here together, and you have to realize there's people that are speaking different languages, and not only are the Jewish people from these different areas here, they've brought their friends. Some of them have married people in Africa or Europe or in Asia or, or wherever, and, and then you have people who were uh, what we call proselytes, people that had converted to Judaism because they got to know these Jewish people that were their neighbors, and then they feel really drawn to Judaism, and then they start to, they start to live, they, they accept, they convert to Judaism. 
Okay, so you have not only the Jewish people from these areas, but we have their families and also many of their friends that are natives of Africa and are natives of Europe and are natives of Asia and all these different places. We have them coming together for this very culturally diverse kind of hodgepodge of people at the festival in Acts chapter 2. Okay, so that's the context. And look at what happens here. So it says that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples are, are together, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's what we were just talking about. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So they hear the sound of the Holy Spirit, and they come together. You know, what's that noise? And they all come together to see. And they came together. They were bewildered. They were surprised. They were confused. Why would they, what, what was so shocking to them? They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, remember, th these are Jewish people from all over the, the known world at the time. That they speak all these different dialects of all these different languages, including their friends and neighbors that they brought with them who were natives of those areas. And when the Holy Spirit comes, then the disciples of Jesus, they start speaking in all of these different languages about, about Jesus, about the gospel. And all of these different diverse people, they start freaking out because they're hearing what these people are saying in their own language. Not in Hebrew or Aramaic, but in their own language. So do you see what's happening here? Do you see what God is doing? Are you getting how this relates to the story of the Tower of Babel? Are you getting this? God is reversing the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, because of sin, one people had their language confused and they started to, to fight and they were dispersed and scattered throughout the whole world. In Acts chapter 2, the opposite is happening. You have people from all over the world that are coming together, and they speak all different types of languages, but they're all hearing the good news in their own native tongue. God is, the Holy Spirit is reversing the Tower of Babel, right? So sin comes into the world, and it brings chaos and confusion and conflict but God's spirit and the gospel come into the world and they bring unity and community and brotherly love among very diverse peoples under Jesus. So currently, God is working to unite all peoples into one family under Jesus. Okay, so <laughs> I know many of you have heard of the 1619 Project, right? I know many of us, uh, of us have heard of the 1619 Project. Don't worry, this is not the 1619 Project, okay? This is the 33 Project, all right? This is the 33 Project because in 33 AD, that's when Jesus Christ, our olive-skinned, Middle Eastern, dark-haired, Semitic Jewish king, 
he died for our sins, and then he rose from the dead. And he told us to go out and share the good news, not just with people that look like us, but with people of all nations, of all races, of all languages, of all tribes, and in all places. And look at what else he tells us. Okay, one more verse and then we'll be done. Turn with me to, to John chapter 17. This is John chapter 17, verse 20. I know it's a little bit chilly and windy, but stick with me just for a couple more minutes. We're gonna, this is, this is where the, the payoff is gonna be. Okay, this is what he says. This is what Jesus says when he's praying for his people in John 17, starting in verse 20. So he's praying for his disciples. And he says, he says I do not ask for these only, meaning his 12 disciples. He says, I'm praying for my people. I'm not just praying for these disciples. I'm not just praying for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Well, do you, do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that it's not enough for us to do what we often do, which is to say, oh, you know, those people of a different race, I have no problem with them. I don't hate them. I'm not racist. He's saying that's not enough. It's not enough just to not be racist. It's not enough just to not hate people that don't look like us. He says that we're supposed to be a family of people who have one thing in common. What is that thing? that we are all disciples of, of Jesus. And did you catch what he said there in verse 23? He says that they may be perfectly one, that they may be perfectly one so that, okay, so what will happen? What will the result be if we are perfectly one, like he says that we should be? Well, the world will then know that God sent Jesus and that he loved us just like he loved, just like he, he loves us just like he loved Jesus. What he's saying there is if you walk into, you know, there's obviously, there's nothing wrong with a group of, of just white people or a group of just black people or a group of just, just one particular race. There's nothing inherently bad about that, okay? But if you walk into a community, if you walk into to a place, if you walk into a church, where it's all people of the same race. Okay, you say, oh, that makes sense. There's lots of communities that they get together and they have some shared ideas and yeah, that makes sense. They can relate to each other well. Nothing really to write home about. But if you walk into a community where you have people of all different races, where you have people of all different ethnicities, of all different nationalities and backgrounds, that are together and are fellowshipping as one family, then people say, what's going on here? 
this is, this is something different. Wait a minute, what do you guys all have in common? Well, we have one thing in common, that's that we're all, well, we're human beings made in the image of God, and we're disciples of our King Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's be part of the, the 33 Project. Okay, let's be intentional to build relationships with people that look differently from us, right? Maybe it's people that we, maybe it's people that are not Christians or we're not sure if they're Christians or not. Maybe it's people that we play pickleball with or play soccer with or play football with or people that we see at the gym, right? And we can be a part of sharing the message of Jesus with them. Maybe it's people that are already believers. Maybe it's people right here in our own church who look a little bit differently from us. And, you know, it's always going to feel more convenient. It's always going to feel maybe easier to spend time and build relationships with people that look just like us. But the truth is, and Lindsay and I have experienced this so many times in China, that when you get to know somebody, when you start getting to know people that look very differently from you, we can just assume, oh, you know, they, I don't know that we get along or we're too different. Once you start to build a relationship with somebody who's a different race from you, you very quickly realize that you have so much in common, and you meet people who say, wow, I had no idea we could become such close friends, because we often just assume that, well, we'll just get along better with the people that look like us, right? So let's be a part of the 33 Project, okay? Because if people come to our church and they see that we are a unified family of people that love each other, that look different from each other, they're going to know that the message of Jesus is not just some religion. They're going to know that Jesus isn't just some other guru. This isn't just some kind of self-help method. They're going to know that he really was sent from God, and he really is God, and he really is in us because this is something that only the Holy Spirit can do. Okay, well, let me pray for us. Lord, you are the, the king of the world. You are the king of all peoples and all nations. I thank you that you didn't just confine the message of your kingdom to Jewish people, but you let those of us that were far off to hear the message as well so that we can become part of one family. And God, I pray for us. You tell us in your word that your Holy Spirit is the one who gives us unity. And I ask that you would give us unity in our church family and in our, church, in our larger community too. God, I pray that you would help us to be perfectly one, just like you were one, so that people will know that this really is the work of your Holy Spirit through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.